0: Okay, this morning we're going to look at uh, Psalm 139. So last week we finished up the 119 series. This will be the last Psalm I preach, and then uh, Jason will be preaching next Sunday. And then we're going to start our series in the life of Joseph, which I'm really excited about. Hope you'll join us for that in two weeks. But for Psalm 139, it's um, it's one of my favorite. I think it's a lot of people's favorite Psalm uh, because. In it, David takes very important and concrete theology. You know, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. But he personalizes it. And he meditates on it. And he draws us in to where it's really like a tune-up to our, our Christian lives. Are we interested? Are you interested in a personal, like, vibrant relationship with God? Do you want him to know you? Do you want to know him? That's really the question before us in this psalm. And so David teaches us uh, what it looks like to take a truth like that and meditate and churn on it, especially in light of struggles uh, that we aren't exactly sure what his struggles are, but they're in this psalm as well. And so I will encourage uh, encourage us to read this together, meditate on it together, and grow. So let's read Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for the honesty that David gives us. Lord, as a man after your own heart led by your spirit, we can see him overflowing with affection for you and reveling in your affection for him. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open the, uh, the eyes of our hearts to be enlivened to your love for us. And Father, if there is anyone here who is pretending in their faith or knows they're not a Christian, I pray that even this morning your spirit would prompt them to cry out to you, to be known by you, and to walk with you. Father, guide our words for your glory, Amen. John Calvin, uh, one of he, what he's probably most known for, he wrote a lot of commentaries, but he's most known for uh, his work called the Institutes of Christian Religion. He was one of the early reformers, and as all of this theology was becoming more prevalent, he systematized that theology into uh, four books and two volumes. It took him many, many years to go from one book to four. Uh, and, he, and, systemizing, and systematizing, it just means he, you talk about theology according to different systems. For example, he opens up chapter or book one with the knowledge of God, the creator. And chapter one says the knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. And, he, and then he starts the very first section, the very first paragraph. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And then he explains, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one proceeds and brings forth the other, is not easy to discern. And he's wisely showing us that how how do you know who you are? without knowledge of God. And how do you know who God is without knowledge of self? And David has really shown us that in Psalm 139. He's obviously struggling. We'll talk more about that, what we can guess from the psalm. But, but in his struggle, he's, he's meditating on who God is and what he knows of God and, furthermore, what God knows of him. And it's beautiful. And so my question to you as we move into this conversation is, how much do you want to know God? Because it's going to be hard to know God means I've got to begin to know myself and I've got to begin to open up my own life to let him show me areas of my life that I may not be excited about. And I may need to, I need to, may need to dig deeper and it's, and it can be painful at times, but it's through the process of knowing God and ourselves that he becomes more and more beautiful, at least to our spiritual eyes. Obviously, he doesn't change. But, but our experience of him will change, and we'll, we'll delight in him more as we do that. And I think oftentimes, though, our struggle is we get to a level of comfort, right? We, we sort of find our level of Christianity. We kind of find out how life can work for us. We get to that place, and we kind of stall out. I would encourage you to not do that. Please, let's be Christians who uh, are, are passionately growing in Christ and learning who God is, and so I hope this morning we'll we'll begin to kind of peek into that process a little bit more, uh, and we'll learn to know him more uh, so that we can know ourselves more, and we'll learn to know ourselves more as we learn to know him more. So that's kind of our goal. It's a two-point sermon. uh, That doesn't mean it's shorter. It actually means it's longer, because that means there's four points, because you have to have two points at every two anyway. So it's two points, and the first point is knowing God. Knowing God as he, because he knows us is the p- first point. Uh, right there at the very beginning uh, of this psalm, oh, Lord. Very uh, affectionate. David could have easily just, or David, yeah, David. See, I'm, I'm getting confused already. David could have just easily said, you are omniscient. You are everywhere, and then moved on. But he sits there, and with affection, he says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. And as you know, the Hebrew word for known is much more than just you have sort of factually known I exist from a distance. There's an intimacy in that language. He goes on to explain how God knows when he sits down, when he rises up, he discerns his thoughts from afar. That doesn't mean God's far away. It means while the thoughts are far away. Because in the next line he says, or a few lines later, before a word is on my tongue, that is, We don't really have a thought until you've formulated it into a word, a symbol of some kind, whether internally or externally. Yet God, prior to you, having formed the word, already knows your thoughts. And he loves you and he cares for you. And David is saying these things in the sense of being close to God. In fact, in verse 6, he says, such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's too amazing. He's overflowing with beams of just glory. He can't believe how good God is. Part of growing in our faith is coming to that place where we actually have this desire to know God and be known by him. Now, in, in growing up, all of us go through these phases where you get into new locations, new places, new ages, new circumstances where you begin to test how much you're known, how much you're loved. Have any of you ever, when you were younger, said, I'm going to run away to your parents? I did that. And my mom just smirked. And I had my tape recorder and maybe, I don't even know what else I had. And I, I got 100 feet out the front door and then I came back. And uh, she did say, I, I knew you'd come back or I would have come for you. But um, there's this testing process. I think David is somewhat in this testing process. He, he knows that God loves him, but he's processing, like, all of the ways in which God pursues him. Where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from you? If I go ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take up the wings of the morning, he's, he's exploring all the places I, he could run knowing that God will pursue him. I've used this illustration before, but... How many of you love Runaway Bunny? This is uh, Margaret Wise Brown's first book. And it was a success, written like in the 50s. And it's about a mother and a baby bunny. I'm not going to read it to you. But essentially, this little bunny is growing up. And like David, begins to kind of explore how much the love the mom has and says, you know, I'm going to run away. And the mom says, I will run after you. And so pretty soon, the the little bunny is like, well, then I'm going to become a fish. In the stream, and then the mommy says, well, then I'm going to become the fisherman in the stream and catch you. And there's the picture. See? Beautiful drawing. See, this is how you do sermons. You just read children's books. (laughs) Pretty soon the little bunny's climbing a rock. I'm going to become a rock high on a mountain. The mom's like, I'm going to become a mountain climber. Then I'll become a crocus in the garden. I'll be the gardener. And so on and so forth. Until finally the bunny says, then I'll just be a little bunny. And then the mom says, then I'll be your mother. And there's something so intimate about what David is expressing to the Lord. He has this closeness where he says, you will run after me, and I know that to be true, and I trust that to be true. But I want us to understand he's saying it. He's meditating on it. He's processing it. You see, all of us have the urge to question whether God will run after us. That's Part and parcel of, be, of parcel of being a person, where you go. If I do this, is God with me? If I go here, is God is God going to care? Is this is this risk too far? And I'm not talking about sinful pursuits. I'm just talking about life's challenges and difficulties that are coming at you. Will God be with me? Is He with me here? And let me say, if we're not doing what David does, where we meditate on His truths, bring our life before Him, acknowledge these things then we're going to do it in other ways. In other words, all of us find avenues for testing God and running from Him. Through anxieties, through um, dissociations, through addictions, through online websites, through any number of things that we can engage because of the agitation in our soul. And what David is teaching us is with that agitation, with those questions, press into God. Go to him in meditation and prayer. Confess the ways that, that you're tempted to run, knowing that, God, I know you would be there. I know you will be all I need if I go this direction, if I run this way, you are with me. Is that how we process? Is that how you see your story? He also talks about, after relishing all the ways God pursues him, he says this, you formed me in my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So now David has moved from God is everywhere with me. God pursues me. But now he's recognizing God made me. God uh, built me before I was, you know, even conceived. And, and he, in my mother's womb, I became a human. And I grew all of my life. And every one of my days was before him, he says. And that's a powerful thing. Uh, so often, many of us are tempted to ignore hard places in our lives. And David had many hard places. There are other psalms where he says, my mother and my father, uh, they, they forsook me. He struggled. He, he has, and we'll talk about this more, but he's in a season uh, of being anointed as king, and before he takes the throne, he's running from Saul, who David thought of as the, God, you know, the man of God. He's running for his life over and over and over. And he's able to look at that story and say, but God, this entire story has been handled by you. You are the God who made me. You are the God who, who fashioned me. And every day is from you. Do we say that? When we study the life of Joseph, one of the most profound things that Joseph's able to do, when his brothers finally realize it's Joseph who's in charge of Egypt, and Joseph is forgiving them, what does he say? What God meant for evil Or what you meant for evil, don't do that. Do it this way. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's profound. Because so often we are wondering, where was God in our stories? Where was God when this was happening? And the theology David is giving us is God had you in his hand. He designed your days. He designed your life. And it's all for his glory, and you can trust that. So do you want to be known by God? Because if you do want to be known by God and to experience that knowledge of him, then you, with David we need to process these three stanzas of how God is all-knowing and present with us. How he pursues us everywhere we are find ourselves in. And he even designed every one of our days and has been with us at all times. So now just to kind of move to the second part of our service, this is now point two, is how do we then pursue that knowledge of God? What is our response to that? Here David is meditating on it. He's, he's chewing on it. And he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And then he says, if I would count them, that's God's thoughts, they are more than the sand. And listen to what he says right at the end of verse 18. I awake and I'm still with you. There, I don't know that he was having a sleepless night. I've had a few of those in the last few months. I used to wonder how people, I'd hear people say, you know, I had a sleepless night. I'd be like, what? Just close your eyes. It's pretty easy. But when you feel anxiety at night, it can be one of the greatest traps. You, you feel, anyone, am I the only one? You're just like, what's going to happen in anxiousness? And David is showing us, he's thinking God's thoughts. He's meditating and he's relishing in God. And then we move to this interesting place. So h- how do we respond? Look at verse 19. The 22, these are some words that I think jolt us in our modern context, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Remember, David is a king, and David is often has been on the run, and David is able to see how there are people, whether individuals or groups, who hate God and are his enemy. And David is feeling that hatred. And let me just say that this is not inviting us in modern times as Christians to hate people. Jesus says, love your enemy. But nonetheless, understand they're an enemy. And what David is really showing is what makes them enemies is not that they've been harsh to David or he doesn't like them, but that they hate God. And so the real question before us is, are we so caught up in knowing God that we hate the evil in our world? Do we hate it, like David is saying? Um, Jesus, as you know, when he went into Jerusalem on several occasions, he took a whip and he drove out the money changers, right? Right? Because they were trying to sell animals in the Gentiles' court of the, of the um, temple. And it was during the, the high festival of Passover in which God had opened up, you know, a, a way for Gentiles to come in. And Jesus cannot accept the fact that this evil is happening and he's angry. But he doesn't sin. So he has justice in his heart. He wants God's ways to be pure. And that is a picture of what I think as Christians we are invited into We we can at one and the same time just we we love God, we love his ways, we love his thoughts, and that equally then will make us hate evil and sin. But what makes it so hard is sometimes that evil and sin is not just personified in a single person, right? It can be dear, dear people in our lives. Jesus is one of his dearest disciples is Peter. And you know the story where Jesus is like, I'm gonna die. Which he said on many occasions, and Peter said, I will not let you, you know, die. And it sounded so noble. You know what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. I do not recommend that to make friends. Jesus can say that. But you might try to tone it down just a hair. Like, you might say that was unhelpful. Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. He knows that even though Peter is a child of God, is redeemed, will spend eternity in heaven, that evil can utilize our motives, our words, our statements. Satan himself can have his purpose fulfilled with other people. And even harder to understand is that Satan can work within our own lives, that we have our flesh dwelling within us. Um, Many would call that the, you know, you've heard the title of the book, The Enemy Within. David goes on to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. He's not saying, test me, because I don't think there's anything wrong with me. He's saying, show me the grievous ways in me, and then it ends with, and lead me in the way everlasting. When we know God and we know his love, we will agree with these words and say not only do I want to hate the sin in the world I want to hate the sin in my own soul with pure hatred because it grieves you God right and yet the hardest part in doing that is our culture says you do you you just follow your own path you you just live out and so it's a it's a bind because we we so desperately want to Be kind to ourselves and not name this stuff. But what Jesus is saying is actually the kindest thing you can do is call sin, sin, knowing that I hate sin and I will come after you like the runaway bunny's mom. And so I love what Jason said in his prayer. Like we confess our sins because we're asking God to take them away. I honestly think sometimes in my Christian life I completely forget about that. Do you? It's like, oh, yeah, there's actually deliverance. There's actually healing. Sins can actually harm me, so David is taking all of this knowledge of God and being known by God, and he's applying it to the evil he's facing as a king, but then the evil within himself. This morning, uh, and it was this morning, and you know, it, it's an added part. I was going to preach it exactly the same way, but I saw this image, and I get to use this image because it's so amazing. Sometimes you kind of just scroll through, like you see something on the internet. It's a baby. There's a million of these things, but this one was just caught me. It's a baby, I don't know, three months old, four months old, being held, being fussy. And you see these beautiful little glasses, like they have the strap, and you see the, the dad or the mom slipping them on the baby's eyes. And the baby's just kind of like, and all of a sudden just and smiles, and it brings you to tears. Because you know that that child had no idea... Prior to that moment that this was a reality this is just a blur and that's all I know and the lenses come on and it's like whoa and Calvin calls Jesus and the cross the lenses we need to see the Old Testament you see Jesus says to you and I wherever you go I will pursue you and he does and he goes to the cross And I think so often we talk about the cross so much. We wear it as jewelry and and we do so much with it. We forget what actually the cross represents. And that is that, that Jesus Christ has come from heaven to earth who knew you from the beginning of time and said, I will rescue you. You are dead in your trespasses. I will go to the cross. And as he dies on that cross, we are able to see our lives differently. We can now do two things. One, we can look at the sins we have in our lives, the things we've done, the things we struggle with. And we can say, Jesus, I pray you will not only forgive me, which he does, but that you will heal me from these things. But we can also look over our story at the things that were done to us. And instead of saying, well, where was God when that happened? Which is a very good question. Jesus has the answer. I went to the cross for you. I went to the cross for that harm. I have prepared a place for you in eternity because that is what your story has always been. And so now we can make sense of our entire lives and our entire hearts with David, knowing that God knows us and loves us and we love him. There's this place in Galatians where Paul is talking to the Galatians. That's who he talks to in Galatians. And they are struggling because they've lost sight of the beauty of the gospel. And he starts by saying in verse chapter 4, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, and then he kind of corrects himself, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? But what I love is that he ca- he, he, you, you did come to know God, of course. But more importantly and more rightly, God came to know you, and he gives us the new lenses. And Paul is saying, with those lenses on the cross, how can we fall back? And in chapter 5, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. But just a few verses later, he says, there is a war that will be raging in your soul between your flesh and your flesh. the spirit and so we come to the question then of do we want to be known by god do we want to know him fully and the answer i think from 139 with the lenses of the gospel is this if you want to know god fully you do so by accepting the fact that you have sin and repenting of that and naming that and stop hiding that and we can actually put the lenses on and see the beauty of jesus but also say Oh my goodness, Lord, will you deliver me from this? Will you show me my grievous way and lead me in the way everlasting? And he sends his spirit to not only convict us of sin, but to heal us from sin and to grow us in him. And that comes through a process of really strengthening lenses. I I wear contacts, you may not know this. The reason I don't wear glasses is because they're like that thick. It's like I look this way and you're gonna see like, coke bottle lenses and so when you look straight on me my face is like in here and so i'm like and they're so heavy no matter what technology i get it's like oh here's the newest technology that'll be ten thousand dollars and then they ship them to me and they're like still super heavy but i can see no matter how bad my eyesight's get i can see the gospel will continue to let you see and so we go back over and over, and it's like, yes, there's more sin. Let's try this lens out. Let's get, the, let's get the cross back in view, and you can see again clearly. So will you do that with David? Practically speaking, will you invite God to be God in your life? Will you, will you say with David how wonderful it is that God is with you everywhere you go and at all times, that he pursues you, he knows you, he rescues you, that he forms you. In your mother's womb, in every one of your days, he knew from beforehand and he has a design for you to bring glory. And that one day, someday, when we die or he returns, we will be with him forever. That is how we can know God, by meditating on those truths and bringing our lives to him in the meantime for our our, um, eyesight to be sanctified. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you pursued us Lord, we ran so far. And Lord, even now, if we're honest, we are prone to wonder, prone to turn to so many other things for comfort and strength. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to come back to your cross over and over again, seeing the length that you've gone to. And Lord, that you are ruling and reigning right now from heaven, that your spirit dwells in the lives of your people, administering the is that we learn at the cross. Lord, that your blood is sanctifying us, that we are being made new every day. And I pray, Lord, that we would live out of that reality and grow deeper in love with you, Jesus. Deeper in love with our Heavenly Father. Deeper in love with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We're longing to learn to walk in your ways. Lead us in the way everlasting, we pray this morning. For your glory. Amen.